If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, a Bible or device. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. As we're headed in that direction, let's bow for a word of prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace, and we thank you, God, that you have, you've been so tender and rich and wonderful and real to all of us here. What a great God you are. And so, Father, right now, I pray that you'll speak to all of our hearts. Lord, you know, every single Sunday, I I wrestle with the same deal. I don't know uh, what my brothers and sisters are faced with, and uh, I know that we all need a word from God, and uh, preaching is such a humbling thing, Father. I pray, God, that I will not stand in your way, but the Spirit of God will speak and say things to us from the sacred text that will give us hope and help and encouragement and uh, rebuke where we need it, Lord, strength where we need it. Father, just do your work, we pray. Take us to where you want us to be. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We're doing this series right now, add a little context, uh, entitled uh, Faithful and Free. It's, it's on stewardship. It's on stewardship. And as I've been saying each week, one of the big challenges when you talk about steward, stewardship is that we've sort of trained ourselves to think myopically about stewardship. We think that stewardship primarily has to do with money. Well, not primarily, but money is a big deal. I always tell people, I mentioned this last week, you know, some folks get upset with pastors talking about money. Uh, I, 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 I don't think that the average pastor talks much, as much about money as Jesus did. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And so it's not wrong to talk about resources and to talk about money. And the way we use our money is an indication of the level of our surrender and commitment to the Lord Jesus. I mean, that's just a biblical, biblical re- reality and fact. However, stewardship does not begin with that, it begins with this. Stewardship begins with this. It begins with me. Uh, it's not an a la carte relationship. So last week, uh, the title of the message is Give Your Life. And that's what it's really all about. Uh, everything else, I'm just tipping God if he doesn't have this. I'm just sort of like, you know, kind of easing my conscience if he doesn't have this. And so we're to give our lives. It's, it's, it's placing back in his hands what all, all of it belongs to him. And we surrender who we are to him. Now today, I want to talk about leveraging his resources. Leveraging his resources. Now, now again, this is about, it could be presented as money, but I think it's a little bit broader than this. You'll see as we get into this. But I want to talk about leveraging what God has given to us. Back in 1975, two dudes who, uh, now it's called Silicon Valley, two dudes got together and they had this idea, they had this dream of starting this uh, aspirational company that they would call Apple. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, uh, they didn't have two pennies to rub together and uh, they had no place to, to hang out or an office or a place to start experimenting except for Steve Jobs' parents' garage. And so they took over the parents' garage. And as they got down the pike a little bit, they realized that, hey, look, uh, we're going to capitalize this thing here. But there was a problem. They didn't, have, they didn't have any resources. The only thing that Steve Jobs had was a Volkswagen 
And Wozniak, the only thing he had was this uh, humongous HP calculator. And so they looked at each other and said, how much do we really believe in this dream? We believe in it. So Jobs sold his Volkswagen. Wozniak sold that big old calculator. And it bought them the $1,350 that they needed. Well, the rest, as they say, is history. Today, wait for it. Today, Apple is valued conservatively at $1 trillion. $1 trillion. You know what a trillion dollars is? A trillion dollars is a thousand billion dollars. It is absolutely amazing. What they said was, look, we really believe in this. If we really believe in this, we're all in. Let's take everything that we have and put it on the table. Back in 1979, next year, our church will celebrate 40 years. 40 years. But back in 1979, a guy by the name of Bob Rowland and Art Vanderveen and Joe Ushery uh, came on board. Later on, Miles Lorenzen came on board to start a church. There was nothing up here. I mean, well, there were other churches up here. I shouldn't say it, but there was a group of people, small Bible study. Folks said, we, we like to see... We like to see a Bible preaching balanced church here in this Roswell area. So what did these guys do? Well, it wasn't long after they started meeting, they realized that we got to be all in. They left their, 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 their other ministries with Walk Through the Bible, and they started this church. There was, there was just a handful of people here. Well, today, you know, conservatively, people, there's several thousand people who would call Fellowship Bible Church home. But it took an investment. It took an investment of their lives. I ain't talking about just, yeah, okay, we'll teach a little Bible study every once in a while. It took who they were, took their lives to build what we have today. Well, I'm looking out here and there's successful business people and other folks out here. You've done similar things. You had a dream. You had a vision. Some of you took second mortgages on your home or other things and you leveraged those resources because it, you saw that there was a dream. There was something that needed to take place and you felt called to do this. And so you were all in. This parable tells us that the kingdom is really the same way. To really advance the kingdom of God, it's not just little independent contributions that's necessary. It's taking the talents, gifts, and abilities that God has given to all of us and pushing them out to the center of the table. That's what it's really, really all about. When we use what we have, there's no telling what will happen. There's no telling what will happen. And this whole parable is a call to that. Now, I have preached this passage before, and, and I've totally re, 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 redone, or redone, yeah, I've totally redone over what, I, what I've done in the past here. And I want to suggest to you that there are five words, or four words, excuse me, that help us to see the movement of this passage, the movement of the parable. What is happening here? And let me just summarize it in these four words, and I'll go back and put some meat on that skeleton. Uh, the first word is entrusted. The second word is invested. The third word is rewarded. And the fourth word is rebuked. Entrusted, invested, rewarded, and rebuked. 
Well, the parable begins, and by the way, I'll tip my hand just a little bit. There are three parables here in Matthew chapter 25, the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and the parable of the final judgment. And they all have something in common, particularly the parable of the talents and the parable of the final judgment. The parable of the talents here, uh, Jesus is, the allusion here to the, to the rich man that goes on a journey is to Jesus. It's to him. First of all, this, this man, this very wealthy man, uh, entrusts his servants with some resources. The principle here in verses 14 and 15 is that what God gives to us is valuable by virtue of the fact that God gave it to us. Listen to these words here in verses 14 and 15. For it, meaning the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another uh, two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Then he went away. So here you have it. A man of means wanted to have his money used profitably while he was away. So what does he do? He picks three of his servants. And he gives each one of them money. And the tacit implication is that you're going to do business with my money, my resources. Mind you, it belongs to me. And I'm giving it to you for you to leverage this stuff until I come back. You're to do business with it. You're to use it. I'm playing in your hands. And I wanted to be profitable. And by the way, the word talent there, uh, um, the word talent there is a little, little difficult to, to, um, to describe. It, it, it's, a talent is not a specific monetary amount so much as it is a measure of weight. Now, we apply it to money, and I think it's a, in this text it is applied to money because that's what verse 18 says it is. It is it's, the talents apply to money. But they use talents as a measure of weight. To, you could use talents to, as a measure of weight for wheat or for other commodities or whatever it might be. Uh, it's not just uh, gold or silver or copper. But it, it's a measure of weight. In other words, he gives them these talents. And I would suggest to you that, that what the talent here represents something extraordinarily expensive of huge value. It wasn't as if he gave them 100 bucks in our currency, each one of them, well, gave, gave one of them 500 bucks and 200 bucks and 100, another 100 bucks and he went on his way. He said, ah, if I lose it, that's fine. But what he gave them was extraordinarily valuable. He, he entrusted them. And then he says that uh, he gave them, now this line in verse 15, according to their ability. He gave them what he knew that they could handle. They had different capabilities. Different capabilities. Now, you read the parable, there's no judgment. He didn't say one was better than the other. They just had different capabilities. Different capabilities. Uh, You know, as I read this, I just want to remind all of us here, you know, jealousy is a terrible thing. And anybody says that they never were jealous, they, you know, they're, they're, they're an idiot. They're, they're, sure, we all get jealous. But jealousy is a very, it's a terrible thing. And the, the, the thing that we have, to, we have to come to grips with is to understand what we have and what we don't have. And don't ask for positions or responsibilities where you don't have the capacity or the capability to do it. 
Two, two Sundays ago, I preached from Romans chapter 12 in that great line, let not a man think more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment. And I got to tell you, nothing is worse than somebody who has a desire to do something, but they don't have the ability to match the desire. And then you get that person in a position of influence, or they volunteer for something or whatever, and they can't handle the responsibility. They just don't have the capacity or the capability. And then a lot of people get either stifled or hurt or you get mediocre results. Why? Because you're in a place where you don't have the ability. Now, we can grow in those abilities, some of us. You can grow in those capacities, but we all need to know ourselves. And this master, he knew what they were capable at the time of handling. Later on in the story, because they handled it that way, they grew to the ability where he could give them more. Some of us want responsibilities that we can't handle. We can't handle what we have. But he gave them a stuff commensurate with what they can handle. You know, I could get into this. I think that's God's calling in our lives. God only gives us callings where we can press in and, and develop the abilities to carry out that calling. So he entrusted them. The word entrust is very important. He trusted them with his resources. He wasn't trusting the resources, but he was trusting the people. The implication is that God, whatever he's placed in us, he's trusting us with it. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just said? Whatever God has given to us, he has trusted us trusted us with it. So here you have it. You've got these three. Master calls them up to the house, getting ready to take a long trip. But I watch you guys, and I know you have different capabilities, but here's some significant resources that I want you to do business, business with and invest and leverage while I'm gone. Well, the second thing that we see in the text, one, they, he entrusted them with his resources. Number two, they invested. Except for the third guy. We'll, we'll get to him in a second. But read verses 16 through 18 here. Follow with me. He says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He also, uh, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, what we learn from all of this, especially verses 16 and 17, is that diligence always is a response to trust. Did you hear what I just said? Diligence is always the response to trust. When someone trusts you, they give you the gift of trust you want to respond by being diligent. In other words, you, you, want to, you want to get to work with what has been entrusted to you. You learn, that, you learn that trust is a big gift. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. This is one of the things that I think we need to, um, 
we need to constantly remind our kids of, now I don't, I'm not bashing the younger generations, but you know, that, that, that's, that, that age, those teen years uh, between 13 and early 20s, sometimes we want the privileges of adulthood, but we don't want the responsibilities of adulthood. We want to be trusted without being held accountable. And it doesn't work that way. Here we see he looked at their capabilities and he looked at what they could do. He said, okay, let me trust you with this. How do they respond? How do they respond? Well, two of the three, they got after it. They went there. Yeah, he's trusting me with these resources. Man, this is an incredible responsibility. I've got, I've got to identify some banks of the rivers and get after this thing and use what he's placed in my hands. Why? Because he's trusting me. He's trusting me. Now, don't forget the point of the parable. The point of the parable is not just about this man. The point of the parable is vertical. The point of the parable has to do with the kingdom of heaven. It has to do with what God's doing in the world right now. It has to do with the gifts that God's given to his church. It has to do with the abilities that he's placed in us. And that that Jesus is trusting us between now and the time that he comes back. He's entrusted to us talents, gifts, abilities, experiences, all of these things, resources. He's placed in our hands. He has trusted us. The question is, can God trust me with what he's given to me? I want to say that again. Can God trust me with what he has given to me? Listen to me. None of us, we have nothing that has not been given to us. That's the reason why pride and arrogance are so stupid. There's not a person in here has anything that has not been given to you. Whether it's your ethnicity or your moment in history where you were born or all the, the background that you have and all that stuff. All that we have has been, been given to us. We have nothing that has not been given to us. And stewardship says that I, I, I'm not the one who calls the shots with regard to what's been placed in my hands. He has entrusted me with these things for a reason. Can God trust us? Well, these, these two, two of the three, they got it. Oh, yeah. And that's the reason why you see the immediate the, the, the language here. I mean, they, they, they got right after it. Uh, and it says at once. They went out and said, okay, let's do something with this thing. Let's do something about it. Let's invest it. Are we sitting on what God's given to us? Is there a sense of urgency about what's been deposited in our lives? This third dude, though, he he got some issues. In fact, one commentator called, as I was studying this past week, one commentator called this third man a mouse-minded man. You know, these guys, they, they, get, they go right after it. They say, okay, okay, I've got some contacts here. I know some people. It's okay. Or I, let's see if we can cut some deals here and leverage these resources and, and this kind of thing. Well, this, this dude, he goes out in the backyard behind a pomegranate tree and digs a hole and takes the talent and buries it. 
he hid his master's money. Now, by the way, I have to say, with all honesty, during this time, that was a common practice. If you wanted to keep and protect what was given to you, you buried it. But the clear assignment for the money was, not to, was to be used, not to be kept or protected. The assignment for the money was to be used, not to be kept or protected. Some of us, we're keeping and protecting what's been given to us. But what's been given to us has no value if we don't use it. What's been given to us was never meant for us to keep it and protect it. It was never meant for it to be about me. What's been given to us was meant to be used and leveraged. Now, some of us, and I do get it, you know, we could, we, maybe we, we try to use our gifts, talents, and abilities, and we got hurt, or we got, they, they were ignored, or we got taken advantage, or whatever, and, and so we pull back. Some of us, were using what's been given to us not for his glory, but for ourselves, and that ain't good. That's like digging a hole in the ground and burying it. It was given to be used and multiplied to get out there and circulate it and to leverage it and to give it away. That's what it was meant to be used for. And again, we we have to understand the imagery here has to do with, with, with Jesus is the wealthy man. Jesus is the one who's given the gifts and talents and abilities to his people. And he wants that to be multiplied for the intended use of the kingdom. Not to be buried. Not to be pushed aside. So here we have a man, you know, the, again, they, he entrusted them and they, they invested. But now he comes back and they're rewarded. <laughs> they're rewarded. Well, they don't know when he's coming back, but the, the second, the third principle is that when we use what has been given to us, we will be rewarded. That's, that's the point of the story, right clearly, right out there. Okay, Crawford, I'm trusting you with this. I've given you some gifts, I've given you some talents, I've given you some experiences, I've given you this background, I've given you opportunity here, okay? What is this? It's not about you. Not about your career. Never was about you. It's about my cause and what I want to do. And now he comes back and he says, okay, let's give an account here. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. After a long time. The inference is that he never gave them a date in which he was coming back. Uh, Again, this speaks of our Lord's return. He's going to come as a thief in the night for some, and we don't know when he's going to come back. But he's coming back. So he shows up, and so this this is a day of reckoning. The day of reckoning has come. Makes me think of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Context, he's talking about believers there and rewards. The day of reckoning. 
it's kind of like it's kind of like your boss okay you've had this team meeting uh, uh, and you, you're in the conference room there and so he gives you the plan over the next 60 90 days and says here are the here are the three target areas the three top objectives and here are the things that I want done and uh, here's what and he gives assignments you need to do this and you need to do this you need to do that and you guys wrestle with this and says okay after 90 days I'm coming back and I want to see some progress on what's what what these assignments are okay you're on your laptop or your iPad and you're taking all that down. Oh, yeah, you're nodding your head. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Oh, yeah. He leaves and this kind of thing. And, you know, you start procrastinating and playing golf and long lunches. And, you know, instead of a 10-hour day, you got like a four or five-hour days. And, you know, and you're kind of like looking like you're busy, but you're not doing anything. And all of a sudden, he comes back. Calls a meeting. Goes around the conference table. You give me a report. And you're blowing smoke. You're slinging it. And he knows you are. And he calls you on it. What, 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 what you do, man? What you do with what we agreed upon? What you do with what I placed in your hands? What'd you do with it? Crawford, what'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? Well, the good thing is, in verses 20 through 23, he does commend the first two. He says, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, uh, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. This is amazing. I mean, when, when he says, when he says, well done, the master says, well done, it's as if he says, uh, bravo, bravo, oh, it's like, it's like, it's just high five, look at you, man, this is great, you, you used it, you used it. I don't think it was so much about them multiplying it, but they used it. He says, look, look at you, bravo, well done. And then he says, good and faithful, good and faithful servant. I don't mean to get too granular here, but he's saying more than what you might think. You just, we use that line so much that we, we might miss the, the incredible impact or import of what, what is being said here. And he says to them, he, he, he applauds them for two things when he says good and faithful. The master applauded their character, good. Good. Meaning, meaning you did what I commissioned you to do. Good. Your character. You didn't manipulate it. You didn't change the purpose of it. Good. Good. You, your, your behavior reflected the trust that I had in you. That's good. That's good. So he commends them for their character, but secondly, he commends them for their diligence, faithful. 
Not only was your heart right, but you really did get after that. You paid attention to it. The point is, it's, it's not what has been given to us necessarily. But are we good and faithful? Are we good and faithful? That, that means more than anything. Listen to me. At this stage in my life, I, I'm telling you, it means more than anything. Your heart and your diligence. That's what he did this for. Man, look at you. You really got after it. You, 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 you did the assignment. You, 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 you pulled this thing off. <laughs> Good and faithful. And because of their character and faithfulness, get this, their master gave them more, gave them more opportunity and the gift of his pleasure and trust. This is amazing. Because they were good and faithful with, the, with, with what they had, his master says, oh, I'm gonna give you some more. And not only that, he gives them the gift of his pleasure and trust. Where do you get that from? When he says, enter the joy of your master. Entering the joy of the master says, look, I, I really can trust you more. Not only do I believe in your abilities, I want to celebrate you. You guys are some good dudes. And it's a joy to be around you. The key to having more is not asking for more. This is a principle that I've learned in life. This is a principle that I've learned in life. The key to having more is not asking for more, but doing more with what you have. Doing more with what you have. Don't go into your boss's office asking for a promotion if you're giving a C-minus effort on where you are. Don't go into asking for more money if you're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You need to add value to where we need to add value to where we are. And, I, and, I, and it's amazing, this whole entitlement thing has hit all of us. Some of us think because we're breathing, we deserve to be the CEO. No, that's not true. It's not true when it comes to the kingdom. It's the stewardship of faithfulness. That if, if I handle what I have now, and I do it in a faithful way, God will give me more. He will bring it to me. I will get more. But if you start demanding more, and it's says, okay, let's look at your life. Let's look at what you've done with what you have. Now, how does this indicate that you can handle more? You can't handle any more because you're not doing and leveraging what you have. It's just part of our culture today. We think it's our birthright. Because I have a dream and have an ambition, 
then that qualifies me and demands from you that you ought to give me more. Well, the master said, no, 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 no. Look at you. I'm, man, your character, your faithfulness, you were hanging in there. You didn't bail on us. You didn't walk out. You didn't just, man, yeah, and I'm going to give you, give you, give you, give you, give you more. So the point is, don't shop yourself. Steward what's been given to you. And let that be what shops you. More. More. Well, uh, there's one dude, though. Uh, It didn't work out so hot with him. Bocephus, I don't mean to offend you if that's your name, but (laughs) if it is your name, you better change it. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, boy, he's rebuked. He's rebuked. Verse 24. Verse 24. He who also had received the one talent came forward. This is so laughable. Say, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. This whole last one under rebuke, this principle, is that there are consequences. There are consequences for not leveraging what God has given to us. Jesus puts this in here for us to plainly see. You know, it goes along with the law of sowing and reaping that's replete throughout the Bible. There are consequences for not using what and leveraging what has been given to us. And so my man comes, you know, and he gives this excuse. So I knew you were a hard man, and that's to be taken. And probably so that, that not hard man in the sense that he was a wicked leader, but he was a pretty tough businessman. He knew how to cut a deal. He was a hard negotiator. Yeah, and he could make a profit. And now, yeah, that's, that's what I'm all about. And so this, this dude uh, <laughs> gives the excuse. He said, oh, I would lose the money and be liable for punishment. And so I didn't want to do that. And so he gives this shallow, flimsy excuse for not doing anything with the one talent that had been entrusted to him. You only have one talent, man. I now I knew your capability. There's a reason for giving you one. And if you knew all of this, well, I, I can imagine... I can imagine the man standing there thinking, is he actually telling me this? Is he actually saying this? What are we going to say to him as to why we did not utilize and leverage what he gave to us. I say that not to make us feel guilty, but it's the reality of the passage. 
what am I going to say to Jesus? I was hurt or ticked off or... What am I going to say? He's going to show up. Oh, and we're going to give an account. That's going to happen. But the issue is, what are we going to say? Are we going to give some flimsy excuse? I don't think so. But my man tried it. Well, notice how the master responded here. This is some pretty strong language. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Yeah, you're right. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. You, you, you knew that? Okay, yeah, you know, I'm a hard nose. That's right, I'm a hard-nosed businessman. That's true. But he, call, he calls the dude. This is, <laughs> this is amazing to me. It might, it, you read the parable and you go, well, that's a little severe. He calls them wicked. Wicked. Now, when you put the contrast in terms of the, 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 the accolades and the applauds that he gave to the dude that he gave the five and the one that he gave the two, and he said, good and faithful, good and faithful, it helps you understand and appreciate that calling him wicked ain't so bad. I mean, it probably was so. Good in a sense, the good and faithful people, they, they, they were transparent in their motivations and they, they, they did what, what the assignment was and they, they acted, they acted consistently to the expectations of their master. We did, that's good. He calls this man wicked and the reason why he calls him wicked is because he didn't want to get any gain for his master. And he changed the intention of the investment. Basically, you're self-serving. You knew that I gave you this to use. What did you do? You went behind the house, the pomegranate tree over there, and you dug a hole and you dropped the talent in the ground. And you went on about your business, thinking that life was all about you and you had no accountability, no responsibility to me whatsoever. You just left that there. And I got to tell you, there are so many of us who are just like that. We are wasting our lives. We don't think that we're accountable to God. We don't think that we're responsible to God. All of these talents, all of these gifts, all of these abilities that he's invested in us. We turn them around to pump up our lifestyle to pad our resumes and to make it about us. And that's wicked. Then he says, sloth or lazy. Basically, the man said, you just weren't inclined to work. Why do you tell me the truth? Don't give me this bogus story about, oh, you are a hard man. And this, you know, so you don't read. You read what you don't sow. And I knew all that. Shut up, man. You know, you're just lazy, brother. You just tell me, hey, man, I'm sorry. I didn't feel like doing it. At least I would have been honest. That would have been honest but you're lazy. You're lazy. 
You know, uh, the thing about this whole story is that, you know, as you read the parable, again, there, there, there's no SOP or standard of performance with regard to how much percentage they need to make or a threshold that they needed to make in terms of the ROI, return on the investment. It, it, there's none of that there. So the story is not so much about them making a specific amount of money. The, the story, the story, you see, if, if they had lost the money on an investment that went south, I don't think he would have rebuked them. The inference, the inference is on using what's been given to you, not on the outcome. Not on the outcome. We don't control the outcome. We don't control the outcome. That's been one of the most liberating truths in my life. I don't control the outcome. The only thing I own is to be faithful. The only thing you own is to be faithful. You don't control the outcome. None of us do. We can't tell the fruit that God's going to give to us from our intentions. We're just to be faithful. Now, this is one you know, professional athletes will tell you this. This is like golfers. There's a, there's, a, there's a good degree of humility around professional golfers. I ain't saying they're all humble, but there's a good degree of humility there because that little white ball will do numbers on your head. And uh, so, you know, I, I, love, I love when they interview golfers about, you know, Saturday they're, they're, they're leading. And so, you know, they go into the little deal there and they stick the mic in and I'm, well, uh, tell me, you're up by four or five strokes and uh, what, what do you, what number do you have to shoot tomorrow in order to win this thing? And how do you, you know, what's the competition, this kind of thing? And, and I love most of them will respond this way. Say, look, I, I can't help what Rory and, you know, DJ and the rest of those guys are doing behind me. I can't, I can't do that. The only thing I can do is handle my business. handle my business. And that's what Jesus is calling all of us to, handle your business. Handle your business. It's not what I've given to somebody over here. It's not what they have over here. What did I give to you, Crawford? What have I invested in your life? Handle your business. Do business with it. Do business with it. And I want to encourage all of us, do business with what's been given to you. Your life and my life, they're they're not ours. Did you hear what I said? They're not ours. They're not ours. We talked about this last week. Let go of your life. They're not ours. We got to do business, God's business, with the life that we have. This is the reason why so many people, I, and I you know, meet so many older folks with a ton of regrets. Because they've lived for what didn't matter. And you end up having your children and grandchildren fighting over stuff that don't matter. Doesn't matter. Verse 27 tells us that the, 
the servant could have made some gain if he had done just, I mean, the, the, man, the man says, look, man, okay, I ain't trying to set the bar too high. He says, look, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was mine, my own with interest. And he's just saying, hey, come, you know, I, I'm not setting the bar too high for you, buddy. I mean, just go, if you didn't, didn't want to work, you didn't want to do this, just go on down into the bank and get, get 1% or 2% interest on me, and then go do what you want to do. Why didn't you do that? I don't know. Why didn't you do that? Well, verses 28 through 29. Listen to what this man does. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now read that in this context. He's not saying that God's brutal, going to be brutal. The, the, point, the point is this. Look, look. I am going to get a return on my investment. I am. If it means that I have to take from you and give those opportunities to someone else who's proven to be faithful, I will do that. I will do that. I will take from you because you were not faithful because you would not do what I ask you to do. There might come a point in time when I say, okay, all right, fine, you just stay right there, but I'm gonna take all of that opportunity, all that I had in store for you, I'm gonna take that away from you, and I'm gonna put it over, over here to this person who will be faithful, who I can trust, who will leverage these resources, and I'm gonna bless them. Now, don't look at me strangely, because that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, I keep my body, bring it under subjection, lest that after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. And I think that there are, and I just look, I, you all know, I, I, I think that there are, there are any number of Christians that God's blessing and favor has been taken off of their lives because they've not been faithful. And that's a hard truth. It's a hard truth, but I think, read your Bible, I think it's a, real, it's a reality. They've not been faithful, they refuse to be faithful, they refuse to use what God is calling them to use to advance what he's calling them to advance. He says, okay, fine, 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 fine. That's, I'll find somebody else who will. And I'll use them. And then there's this tragic line here. I started to skip over this because it is really so sobering. What happens to this man? The parable says, and cast the worthless servant into the into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You read that go, whoo, that's severe. What is that all about? These two parables, the parable of the talent and the parable of final judgment are closely associated. If you go over and read the last verse of chapter 25, this is at the end of the parable of judgment. It it says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into, into eternal life. 
The parable of judgments, what he's talking about here, you know, that there are people who were in prison and they were hungry and you didn't feed them and this kind of thing or, or this, this sort of thing. And, and because you didn't visit them, you didn't feed them and this kind of thing. Jesus says, you're going to go to hell. Eternally lost. What are you trying to say, Crawford? No, we do not work to become saved. That is true. James tells us, however, that faith without works is dead, and faith, I mean, works prove our faith. We don't work to get saved, but our works demonstrate our saving faith. The point being this, in the parable of the judgments over here, the final judgment, Jesus is saying, be careful. If you are consistently cold-blooded and lack compassion for the poor and the disenfranchised, and you do not, you do not step into their pain, it could very well be an indication that you did not have a primary relationship with me, with me to begin with. Thus he says in this text here, now I've given you abilities, talents, opportunities to advance the cause and to advance the kingdom. And if you refuse to use them, it very well may, may be an indication that you did not have a primary relationship with the master to begin with. Service is a manifestation of salvation. To serve, to serve. Stewardship is not optional. Stewardship, service is a manifestation of an internal transformation. It's a demonstration of the work of God in my heart and life. Well, let me land the plane, and I want to give you, and I'm just going to click these off real quickly here. In conclusion, just summarize all of this in five lessons for us, just real quickly. Number one is this. Remember, what has been placed in our hands always belongs to the master. And I, I've said this a ton of times, but I want to keep saying this and keep saying this and keep saying this. Whatever has been placed in our hands, remember this. It always belongs to the master. Every single thing in our lives, our bodies, everything that, that we have belongs to Jesus. It's not ours. Number two, the gift or the talents or the ability is the invitation to get in the game. It's the invitation to get in the game. What is the game? God is about the business of building his kingdom. And not necessarily building my platform. He's building his kingdom. And how is he doing that? He's doing that by us using, using what he's entrusted to us to advance it. Number three, and this is a very significant one. What we have is only valuable when we give it away. What we have is only valuable when we give it away. You know, in other words, what we have only has value if it's used for its intended purpose. You know, really, think about it. Money is meaningless if it's not used. So it is with everything in our lives. 
What, 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 what he's given to me only takes on value when I give it away. Number four, don't think about yourself but the interest of the master. It's not what I have to bring to the table, it's what my master wants me to use, what he's given to me, and what he wants me to place on the table. And then finally, don't be the person that plays it safe. The very story of leveraging the resources assumes risks. And to give my gifts away assumes risks. But let me remind you, we're not called to determine the outcome, but to be obedient to what he's placed in our hands. Push it over there. In our... um, Tuesday morning meeting, which I absolutely love. We have a worship planning committee meeting. We're talking through this message a little bit here. and uh, We're kicking around. Maybe I should give some very practical ways in which we could be involved here at the church and heirs of service. And, and I left the meeting thinking about it. At first, I thought that would be a great idea. But then after I prayed about it over the last couple of days, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I just sense that the Holy Spirit needs to speak to all of our hearts And we need to answer these two questions. Lord, what have you given me to work with? What's the investment in my life? And then we need to wrestle with this question. Lord, how do you want me to use them? Don't wrestle with the question of, should I use them? That's been answered. The question is how. Let's stand together. Time is fleeting by. Life is full of swift transitions, as the song says. Only what's done for Christ is going to last. Every dream and every ambition and every house and every boat and every car, every bit of money is going to go up in smoke. But the people in this kingdom will last forever. God, take what we have. God, take what we have. God, take what we have. And bless the kingdom. I'm going to ask for Stephen ministers and staff members and any elders in this meeting to come right now up front as they come. At the end of the service, uh, they'll be up here to pray with any of us that have prayer needs. And uh, please let them pray with you.
Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for your presence. And Lord, uh, this is very personal. Even as I go through this and thinking about this this past week, I feel guilty because of you have been so good to me. Lord Jesus, I just pray, help me not to get distracted by other stuff and get a little lazy about the things that uh, you have put in my hand. Or, and I pray that for all of us, Lord. It's not so much fear of losing salvation as it is that during our time down here, we will have missed incredible opportunities to advance what you're doing. So leverage us, Lord. Leverage what you've given to us, we pray. Uh, honor yourself in Jesus' name. Amen.